3. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says this, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you have received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And go to verse 13. For such are false apostles. He's referring there to the people who are corrupting the simplicity of the message of Christ that we just, he just referred to in verse 3. He's referring to those who preach another Jesus who he just referred to in verse 4. Again, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Now, if you go to verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed? Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I have received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils, which means dangers. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. A little bit to the right where you are. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, 16 says this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, this message this morning from you directly from your heart to our heart. We pray, Lord, that we don't leave here today unchanged. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. I forgot to ask, does anyone need a Bible? <laughs> a Bible, anyone? If you do, raise your hand. Not a problem. I guess not. Everyone has their Bibles. Wow. All right. People carrying around Bibles nowadays and these little calculator things. It's amazing. So they're easy to bring. Who has an excuse not to have their Bible when you can do that? Anyway, by the way, thank you for the uh, your patience with just some of the changes that we're making here just in this room. We are trying to accommodate uh, more people who have been coming. Always a good problem to have. And uh, just continue to pray that God's word would be declared uh, here. 
in the city, not only in this church, but just pray for every church in the city that uh, is declaring God's word. Also, just for the parking situation. By the way, we do not want uh, anyone to feel bad in any way for parking downstairs. For, for example, if you have kids or for any reason, really, feel free to try to park downstairs. It's a little bit more awkward when you're giving um, the, the man a key, a maybe a little bit more awkward for your exit. So feel free, totally free, to, to park downstairs. It's getting, though, a little more crowded because uh, one of the reasons we're getting uh, some more people in the service. And so 375 Longwood, just across the street, Take a stroll in 20 degree below zero wind chill weather. <laughs> I don't know. Dress up warm. Okay, we're in Boston. Don't you love it here? I love it here. All right. So, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. He had come to the city about 50 AD, and it was a city known throughout the Roman Empire for its licentiousness. Its licentiousness, a word we don't really use very often anymore, but if there was ever a word that described Corinth, it was this one. Licentious, the dictionary definition is unrestrained by law or general morality. Going beyond proper bounds or limits. Having no regard for accepted rules or standards. The word, root word, of course, for in licentious, it's the word license. It means you're taking, you're exercising a license, kind of like a driver's license. This license is not to drive. It's a license that you take upon yourself to do anything you want, all the time, however you want to do it licentiousness. And so Corinth fit the bill. There was a temple, it had been a temple in the city, in the city to the goddess Aphrodite overlooking the city, a, a really from a worldly standpoint, a glorious marble stone structure overlooking the city. A thousand priestesses who were actually prostitutes uh, working uh, the temple. Men came from all over the Roman world to sort of throw off all restrained in the area of sexual morality to uh, live like a Corinthian was an expression in the Roman world uh, for someone or to for a period of your life. If you lived like a Corinthian, you'd just throw off any restraint and you'd just go for it, whatever that was in the area of morality. And, you know, some of you who have been uh, with us since 1 Corinthians verse 1 are prob maybe getting weary of me uh, coming up with the describing, giving this description of Corinth. I've probably given it, I don't know how many times at this point, but to be honest with you, I never get tired. I never get tired of giving that description of this city. And the reason is because as a reminder to me, to me, of the grace of God, of the abundant riches of God, of the place that I came from in my own life. It's a reminder to me of the power of God, how we used a small group of believers, a motley crew. I mean, from, in the, out, from the outside, they just look like a feeble a bunch of uh, very small, probably may have been just two or three men, uh, not gifted by the world standards, uh, untrained, but, but just by faithfully declaring the word of God. Uh, within a few years, there's a thriving church having an enormous influence throughout the whole region they were in. We studied this in our first chapter of this letter where... 1 Corinthians chapter 1 begins with, to the church of Corinth. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 begins, to the church of Corinth and to all the churches in the region of Achaia, meaning the whole peninsula. This little church started with these, this, you know, these feeble, weak, untrained people. All of a sudden, it's just spreading. It's just a reminder to me of the power of God. I just, I, I don't get tired of reminding myself at least of of the city that uh, that that Corinth was internationally renowned for wickedness uh, uh, and so also a reminder to me to us that we should never look at a person 
We should never look at a community or a city and say to ourselves, you know, that person's just gone too far. Uh, there is just too much wickedness in that place. Uh, we should just focus on some place uh, that is uh, just a little bit closer to being a little bit more proper, you know, uh, or someone who's just a, a little bit more normal. Uh, but, but no, uh, Paul and uh, God raised up a church right in the middle of this, of this city. You know, right before Corinth, Paul got, went to Athens, and Athens was that place that I think more of us would be attracted to, a dignified place, a place where there was, uh, uh, you know, people had manners. There was, people were educated. They were, uh, they, they were uh, more the kind of community that has respect. But you know something? Paul declared the word of God. Very few accepted it. And yet he goes into this city just with an international reputation for just licentiousness, unbridled, do-whatever-you-want-ness. And, and, and a church is, is raised up. But, so after a few years, this church was started. Um, there was joy there. There was an excitement there. Uh, just the, the misery of Corinth, that's what sin always does to you. Sin always brings on misery. But it, it, in this community of believers, the misery was replaced with joy, excitement, people growing in love and kindness for one another. After three years, uh, he was a church planner, so he left to another city, Ephesus, and began a new work there. And a wonderful work began there. Paul stayed there for three years, and at some point while in Ephesus, he received a word from Corinth that certain religious men had come into the church there, calling themselves apostles of Jesus Christ. Now, apostle just means sent one, someone who was sent by Jesus. So they just came in and said, we have been sent. We too have been sent by Jesus uh, himself. And... Uh, they attacked Paul. Uh, they, uh, he was, of course, gone, but verbally they attacked him. They attacked his message. They tried to ruin, defile his reputation. You know, Paul doesn't have the seminary degrees that we, we have. He doesn't have the training. He doesn't have the certificates. He, he's not a, 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 he teaches error. Stop listening to him. Uh, we will teach you the right way. And some, not all, but some people were won over to this. They were won over by these religious men. In chapters 10, 11, and 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending himself against these men. And in teaching through these chapters, I just have really felt like the Lord has wanted me to focus on why. Why are these religious men attacking him in this way uh, why what was it that paul was saying that was making them attack in such a a vicious manner and, and, and so you know if you look at verses 23 and 24 of second corinthians 11 it says are they referring to these these men these religious men who would come in these religious men who had sort of their come in with their, their Bibles, their robes, their aura of respectability. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. Now, stripes are, is, was a stripe that you get on your back from being whipped, but it's a stripe that has pierced through your flesh. That's just the way the, the scourges, the whippings went at that time. No such thing as cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, they had those, you know, little stones and pieces of glass in the cords, the, uh, the leather cords, the whips, in stripes beyond measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths more often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. He was stoned. I believe it was in Acts 14, just left for dead, stoned and left for dead. And wh while uh, they, um, these, these people who were doing these things to Paul, whipping him, beating him with rods, imprisoning him, stoning him, while they were probably not the same people 
uh, although they very well may have, the same people that went into Corinth and started verbally sort of assaulting him and attacking him there may not have been the same people, um, but uh, they could have been. They were certainly the same kind of people because it was the religious uh, men and women who were stirring up the trouble um, they, they, and that attacked him, that went into Corinth and just tried to undermine everything that he did. And so you ask yourself, why? Why uh, are they doing this? What could anyone really, what issue could anyone have with joy, joy that is produced by God? Why would anyone have an issue with that? Why so much hatred? Why such an over-the-top response to Paul? Well, we've talked about this in the last few weeks. It came across loud and clear, uh, comes across loud and clear in chapters 10, 11, and 12, their reaction was not a natural reaction. Uh, it was a supernatural one. Uh, uh, you know, when someone flips out at you, rarely is it a natural reaction. Uh, the Bible talks about a, a spiritual realm that's a dark realm that's stirring up anger, uh, it, particularly in, 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 in when it comes to religious things or things concerning the truth, things concerning God. And, and, and when you see uh, uh, things like that, know for certain, we've read throughout this, these chapters that Satan himself, we've read, is behind the response. Again, verse 3, Paul says in chapter 11, but I fear lest as the serpent, referring to Satan, deceived Eve, by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And again, verse uh, 13, for such are false apostles, he's referring to these religious men, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. No wonder Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. And so um, uh, Paul, of course, says in Ephesians chapter 6 that when oftentimes when someone's flipping out at you, uh, or, or maybe even when you're flipping out, that, that look, your battle is not with flesh and blood. There's a, a, a spiritual realm that's stirring up strife. And, and, and so what is it about Paul's message that gets Satan so upset? What is it about Paul's message that's getting uh, these religious men all stirred up? Uh, well, we read it in verse 3. Paul says, I fear lest somehow your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity. We've been undermining that word that is in Christ. These religious men were being stirred up because of the, they were getting infuriated, angry at the simplicity of the message that Paul had declared about Jesus. And so what was the message? Paul had simply declared what the Jewish prophets had declared all along. The same prophets these religious men uh, said they believed in and read from every Sabbath, um, um, Paul simply declared, Isaiah 53, 6, that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him... Jesus, the iniquity of us all, I have good news for you. This Jesus has come. Jesus just means the one who saves. This one who saves has come and um, believe in him and you will have life. You'll have everlasting life. But he himself said, don't believe in him and the wrath of God will remain upon you. The anger of God, the judgment of a holy God. And, and, and you know something? These religious men who opposed this message, they should have known it. Their message was right out fr front and center from the, the very beginning of the Bible. It was nothing new. The message that leapt, leapt, leapt from the pages of, of God's Word that man's hopelessly lost. He desperately needs salvation. He's incapable of saving himself, so God did it, and he did it alone with no help from any man. Man being incapable of doing so. 
Uh, and so um, Isaiah 53, 6, this is it. This is what got them so mad, so infuriated. Uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. Any shepherd will tell you that a sheep left to its own devices will go off on its own, make the most foolish, awful decisions, choices that will lead to its uh, destruction, it'll go right into a mouth of a wolf and think all along, you know, I'm just looking for a dandelion patch and this is what I'm supposed to do. And you know, that, that's how sheep are. And, 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 and man's like that, left to our own devices, we'll make choices, self-centered choices, choices opposed to the shepherd's will for our lives, all along convinced that we're okay, but really we're on the road to hell. And so all we like sheep, Isaiah 53, 6, have gone astray, everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And Paul declared the very simple message, this Jesus has come, he's died, he's raised again, believe in it, believe on it. And so this message would be met with anger and opposition by religious people. Religion is always trying to complicate things. No, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. Paul would say, stop. Let's stay in Isaiah 53. Let's read Isaiah 53, verse 11, your Bible. Uh, it says this, God saw the labor of his soul and he was satisfied. God saw the labor of Jesus' soul, Jesus the Savior's soul, and he was satisfied. God saw the punishment that Jesus went through for our sin, your sin, the agony, the suffering, the pain he went through for our iniquity. And the Bible says his appearance was marred more than any other man because he had been you know, whipped and scourged and stripes all over him. God saw that, and, and Isaiah 53, 11 says, and he was satisfied, meaning enough. That's enough. No man, no woman ever has to do, uh, go through any punishment of their own, any pain of their own, any suffering or guilt to make up for their sin. The sorrow of atone for their own sin. No man or woman can add anything, any good work, any offering, any payment. Uh, uh, so uh, that my son has already done all the payment, the offering, and the work. I saw the labor of his soul, and I was satisfied. And all, and all I ask now is that you believe is the voice coming from the Lord, speaking to these people. Isaiah 53, 5, another verse I'm sure Paul quoted said, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So simple, so easy, so free. It costs us so little. Why? Because it costs God so much. It's so simple, so easy. Why? Because God wants it that way. You know, I have five kids. And my kids are the joy of my life. They're just the joy of my life. They're just a crown of blessing. That's how kids are. When you, when, when, you know, when you raise them in Christ. And I can tell you, if ever there's a priority for my kids that I have, it's to make sure that being with me, being with me is as simple and as easy and as uncomplicated as possible. How much more does your Father in heaven? Je Jesus says, we being evil, he being holy. How much more than does your Father in heaven want you, a child, his child? How much more does he want to make it easy for you and for me to be with him? 
there's ever a priority for the Lord, it's to make being with Him as simple and as easy as possible. Believe it, the Lord Jesus said. Paul declared to Corinth, and don't let anyone knock you off that place of grace. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad your mistakes have been, no matter how ugly the situation you've found yourselves in, Hebrews 4.16, we read it at the, at the outset, therefore let us boldly come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, speaking to religious men who had come into the church. I fear lest they have corrupted you from the simplicity that is in Christ. Jesus spent most of his ministry confronting religious men. Now remember what religion is. It's the word that has a Latin meaning. Latin root means to relink or reconnect. Religion is not a God thing. It's not a God-made thing. It's a man-made thing. Religion's made up by man. It's man's way of coming up with a way to reconnect with God. The Bible says God has put eternity in the hearts of men. We talked about that last week. And man comes up with his own way of, of relinking with eternity. And, but Jesus spent most of his ministry confronting that. Why? Religion replaces relationship. Religion play, replaces the cross or the, even the need for it. Satan, through religion, will do everything in his power to use religion to turn your simple, wonderful, freeing, liberating relationship with God into a complicated, exhausting, burdensome, religious mess. And working through religion, he's done this for thousands of years, and, and, and he does this simply by working your mind just work in your mind. He'll put every roadblock, every hurdle, every distraction he c can to, to convince you that you can't just, it's not that simple and easy. You can't just go into the throne of grace. You can't just do that. It's not enough. The cross is not enough. I shared this a few months ago at the evening service, and I'm really going to go out on the limb. I'm going to share it in the morning, and some of you are going to think I'm crazy uh, for sharing this, and for, so I forgive, forgive me in advance, but I, I, so here we go. So I, I have this tall, skinny house, and it's a, a wonderful blessing of a house, and we rent out the bottom, there's four floors actually, we rent out the bottom to uh, four uh, uh, godly young men, and the rest of the, our, we live in the top three floors, and so anyway, I have my uh, office on the uh, top of the fourth floor, and I spend a lot of time in this place uh, preparing uh, messages, and outside of my office, right outside of it, is a, um, a family room, which doubles uh, as Elise, my daughter's Elise, and Adlai's room, so I keep the door closed, and it can get a little uh, uh, rowdy or a lot rowdy and, and loud out there. And so I keep the door uh, closed. Well, usually uh, a few times a day at least when I'm working up there or inside there, door closed, one of, the, one of my kids comes into my office. And it occurred to me a few months ago uh, as I was thinking about it, you know, I never remember. I never remember even one time one of them knocking before they came in. I'm thinking about this. Not once. And I've been up there doing, you know, studying and stuff for about 11 or 12 years now. Never once do I remember them knocking. And guess what? I love that. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I love the fact uh, that, that um, my kids don't feel that need to knock. They just barge in. And, and, I, and I love that. Why? Because it's the same way with the Lord. You know, I don't have to knock. I just go right in. The Bible says I can do that, and that's what I do. 
And, and, and so when I'm living in his grace, that, that, that's a, a picture. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I know this sounds strange, but I, I just love the fact they don't see any need. That's how my heavenly father is with me. I don't have to knock. I love it when my kids visit me. I love seeing them. I, I love being with them. You know, the little ones will come in and they will, um, you know, bring a piece of paper. Make me a paper airplane. And so I make them a paper airplane. They're flying it all around my head or whatever. Uh, or, you know, and, or they come in and, and they just tell me about something that uh, they want to do someday. Or, or they just come in and say, Dad, come downstairs. We're eating or whatever. Mom's waiting for you. She's in her room. She's waiting to pray or, you know, or whatever. Uh, and so, um, but, but I, I, I want to make sure it's as easy and simple as it can possibly be and that there's no hindrance in their mind for them just coming in and being with me. And as you know, as we read before, you know, I noticed in Hebrews 4.16, let us boldly go into the throne of grace. I don't see any door there. There's no door there. God has removed every hindrance. Jesus says, I am the door. He replaced the door. I think that's John chapter 8. So now, look, I'm not trying to come up with some flaky new rule, you know, thou shall not, uh, not knock or something like that. And, uh, and uh, you know, um, my bedroom door's different. We locked that door, but let's not go there. But, you know, listen, I, my, my point is this. What if some guard was standing outside my door? A guard was there. And every time my children wanted to get into me, this guard stopped them and said, well, you know, what about the fact you yelled at your sister today? What about the fact that you slept in this morning, you turned off the alarm and didn't do your devotion time? What about the f- fact that you refused to speak up in class when your teacher or your friends were mocking Christians? You really think you should be just going through that door? What about those evil thoughts you were playing around with in your head for 20 minutes this morning? What about those bad words that you experimented with that you heard on the bus? You really think you should be going in there? Now, do you think, does anyone here think I would be okay with a guard outside my door? taking on that role for himself or herself? No, I wouldn't. I love my kids. I, I, I want them coming right in regardless of what they did. They're my kids. I love them. But let me tell you, that's what Satan does. That's what religion does. He tries to masquerade as a guard, a religious guard, that it's supposed to be there. Outside the throne of grace. And you, you know, for whatever reason, you desperately want to go to God. And he says, well, what about that guy you uh, yelled at? What about sleeping through your devotion this morning? What about the fact you haven't read your Bible in a week? What about the fact that you refuse to speak up uh, your faith and, and, and just admit that you are a Christian uh, that, that time? What about those evil thoughts? What about that uh, porn site? What about that, you know, getting drunk whenever, you know, this type of thing? Do you think God is okay with Satan holding you up like that? Do you think God is okay with some religion throwing up religious roadblocks like that, keeping you out of the throne room? No, you're his child. Once again, he paid an awful, terrible price for you to go just right in boldly. The throne of grace how religious men and women, how Satan hates the simplicity of just the one simple statement. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've blown it. We've separated ourselves from the shepherd. Each of us to his own way. But the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And that Jesus has come. And he's knocking at the door of your heart. Open it up and he will come in. It's just the simplicity 
of a relationship with Christ. And so these religious men, they uh, attacked uh, they attacked Paul. And so in, in verse 22, he begins to uh, respond to their attacks. They had been attacking him personally. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. In other words, look, I, you know, I don't talk about these things. I don't particularly think I need to, but if you're just going to be fixated on the fact that these people were bragging about their bloodlines back to Father Abraham, listen, I'm right, I'm just like them. Verse 23, are they ministers of Christ, meaning servants of Jesus? Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes, remember that's the, the, the lash that is cut in above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, meaning he was confronted by death many times. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. The Jews had a law, no more than 39 lashes, which by the way, the Romans uh, were not subject to that when they, uh, when they whipped, scourged Jesus. Uh, verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep. Now, I've spent a lot of time in, you know, in the deep, actually, in the ocean, and uh, I got to tell you, I'm okay with uh, uh, tipping over on a sailboat or something during the day, but I've been out in the ocean at night. I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't want to be swimming around in the ocean wondering what kind of sea monster is going to come up and gobble me. I mean, you know, uh, Jaws or whatever. And, 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 you know, this guy, a night and a day in the deep, it says. And verse 26, and journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of uh, robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles. In other words, his own were attacking him, Jews were attacking him, non-Jews were attacking him, in perils of the city, in the perils of the wilderness, uh, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often. So he's describing his, his love for them and his love for that very, very simple message. And he's, he's putting in their mind, he's wanting to put in mind, look at these people, they show up with so much pomp and circumstance with an armed guard or whatever, and, and, and they don't love you, they, they haven't paid the cost that, that I have paid. And then he goes on, and b- verse 28, besides other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches, who is we? and I am not weak, who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation, meaning, uh, you know, reports would come back to him from churches of people who had just gone back into the world, who were gone back into their misery of sin, and he's just describing the pain that that brought him personally uh, when that happened, and, you know, he's describing uh, all these things. And I think a lot of pastors make a mistake when they teach about these verses. Uh, What they tend to do is sort of blow Paul up to be this mega spiritual superhero uh, type of guy. (laughs) And, 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 you know, certain churches, they have, they make certain people saints. St. Paul, they made him a saint. St. Francis, St. Teresa, whatever. And and the Bible teaches uh, we should do no such thing. In fact, it calls us all saints if we have believed in Christ. In fact, uh, Paul's uh, first letter to the Corinthians uh, addressed them as saints. He said, to the saints from Paul. Everyone's a saint. You're perfect in Christ, period. And so I, I do believe, a lot, well, a lot of times when pastors or teachers teach on these verses, they sort of blow them up into this super mega unbelievable uh, uh, person that really, at the end of the day, we can't relate to. I mean, who's like that? Who's been doing those types of things? And I think they're doing a, 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 a great disservice. I don't believe that's the intention of the Holy Spirit when he included this. Now, there's only one we're supposed to worship, and that's Jesus. 
And the Bible is written in such a way to only give Jesus the glory. I was teaching, uh, reading, actually being taught by a brother here in the church this week in, in the book of Acts. Uh, and and we, we were just talking about how only one apostle, that was a good apostle other than Judas, doesn't mention anything about his death. And that's the apostle James, and that was one verse. Nowhere else do you read about anyone's death. Why? God wants us focused on the cross. He, he doesn't want us making a martyr out of anyone. And he doesn't want us making a martyr out of Paul. I believe Paul was no different than any one of us. Really. So what are we supposed to be taking away from these verses? I'll tell you what I, I, I really believe we're supposed to be taking away. You know, Paul was merely living out here what he taught, the grace of God. See, while, while all these things are going on, he's being beaten by rods, he's being imprisoned, he's being stoned. The one thing that made him go on was grace. And brothers and sisters, you have to understand this. The, it's so many people, they think of that word grace. Grace means getting what you don't deserve. And they just think of, they, they got saved and, and Jesus died on the cross and, and, and um, we're saved from our sins so we're going to heaven someday. But, but that's like, that's only a, a fraction of what grace means. You know, when we've talked about this before, when a prisoner is pardoned from the death sentence, that's just a part of grace. That's actually a subsection of grace. That's mercy. But that doesn't do anything for him to live out the rest of his life. You know, you see these movies about prisoners coming out of prison. They give them five bucks and a shave and buy. And there's just this whole feeling, this guy is going to be right back in prison. And many, most of the time they are. Grace is not just about saving you. Grace is about raising you up so you can live a Christ-like, godly life and, and have abundant fruit in your life. And so uh, what, what does it look like um, to, to understand and live out that grace? Well, I'll tell you what it does. Verses, uh, what does it look like? It's verses 23 through to, uh, 29 there where he's, he's going through uh, beatings, stonings, scourgings, uh, 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 and shipwrecks, and, and he's moving on anyway. Now, what do I mean by this? Can you imagine how dejected it must feel, or dejecting it must feel, to be beaten by rods, to be thrown in prison? It's like, oh, boy, did I, boy, did I make a mess of myself. You know, look what I've done. I'm in prison. What kind of success am I? I'm a failure. In, in front of, instead of witnessing to people and talking to them about God, I'm being whipped in front of everyone. Do you know how humiliating that is? Do you know how much someone has to understand grace to continue on living for God after that? Only someone who understands the grace of God can keep on keeping on. Let me give you a personal example. You know, I've been beaten up a few times in my service for the Lord, and, and it, not physically. Although one time I was pushed out of a, a, out of a house that I was in with a, a, a guy we were witnessing in this house, and someone started yelling at us and pushed us out. This, this guy who was living in a little, one of these um, uh, short-term houses, sort of welfare deals, and, and he pushed us out, but I don't know, that was kind of fun, but um, uh, the, the times, though, that I have been beaten up in, in, in a real sense, and, 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 and at the end of the day, not much different than what Paul went through in terms of what happened in my spirit. Uh, I'll give you one example. This woman used to come to the Bible study uh, before the church began, and she was a part of a religious organization uh, that really... Uh, it, was a, it was a cult, and this particular religion believed that you can become a god someday as long as you join this religious organization and you do really, 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 really good. And so this woman was coming on and off to our Bible study for about um, a year, and finally I, I felt like, you know, I have to talk with this woman. I felt like it would not be right for me just to continue to say nothing knowing that she is a part of that religious organization. So I told her, you know, do you know that your religious organization that you're a part of thinks you can be a god someday, worshipped by people? And she says, oh, no, that's, that's ridiculous. 
And I said, no, really. I've talked to members of your religious organizations. That's what they say. And, and she said, that's just not true. I said, I'll tell you what. I, I, I'll go and meet with you and your pastor, and I will ask him right in front of you. And she says, okay, come and, and, and meet with me and my pastor, and we'll have, we'll have dinner, and you can come over. And so I, I come, uh, actually with my whole family, uh, ready to meet her pastor and her. And I go to her house, and her pastor wasn't there. <laughs> but about 15 of these dudes were. <laughs> about 15 members of this rel- religious organization. And, and let me tell you, by the time they got through with me, I was beaten up. <laughs> okay, I, I may, I, maybe I didn't have any stripes on my back, but they were on my soul. I, I mean, I just really, I felt like I was just lynched, and I was so humiliated. I was so dejected. You know why? Part of it, I, I feel like I just brought upon myself. I, was, I didn't know what to say. I was trying to shoot from the hip or whatever, and I said a couple stupid things, and these guys, man, they came after me. It was so humiliating. You have to understand grace to recover from that. You know, these things that the Apostle Paul went through, it says he was beaten by rods, he was, he was whipped, he was stoned. I guarantee you he brought some of that on himself. I guarantee you. Anyone who knows Paul, I mean, if everyone sort of, anyone sort of every once in a while just flipped off with the mouth, it was Paul. <laughs> it was him. And so, you know, he's getting beaten by rods. There's 300 people looking at him. He's left for dead somewhere. These things actually happen. Can you imagine how, how condemned, how humiliated? You know, Jesus sent me uh, out, and here I am making a complete fool of myself. You have to understand grace to recover from those things. You have to. Remember Elijah, he, he, in the Old Testament, he brings down fire from heaven. Um, he challenges uh, the 400 prophets of false idols and, 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 and to a duel. Who can bring fire from heaven? He, they try all day. They, uh, they fail. He uh, brings fire down from heaven. And all the false prophets are killed. And one of the most amazing miracles you'll see in the whole Bible, within a few days, the guy finds out the queen, Jezebel, is going after him. He takes off for 40 days into the desert. And is just crying like a baby. You know, the Lord goes out to him, doesn't beat him up, doesn't say, you know, what are you doing? Don't you have any faith in me? No. Uh, the Lord just says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm the only servant left. They've killed everyone else, and I'm no better than my father. I, I just want to die. Why was he so dejected? He brought that on himself. In that, ca- in that particular case, he didn't have to go to the throne of grace. The throne of grace came to him. God does that. God didn't beat him up. And, you know, after, you know, God asked him the same thing again, Elijah, what are you doing here? He winds up, God just listened. And finally, when he calmed down, he said, listen, Elijah, just go back. Go back. Go back and do what you started. And he went, and he had a wonderful ministry. You can only understand. You can only recover from all the messes that, yes, you will make in your life, just the ugly messes that you make for yourself. You can only recover from all that if you understand grace. Getting what you don't deserve. Grace shoots out from the heart of God. You know, sometimes it's easy to go to God, to the throne of grace, when we have some huge problem that we weren't responsible for at all. A family member is sick. There's a hurricane coming. Someone blindsided you in your car or whatever, and, and you, you don't know, have no way of getting to work. You know, oh, Lord, come on, fix this for me. It's easy. Actually, it's really easy. Go into the throne of grace on that one. But for some reason, when we created the mess, it's another story. How can I go to God? And ask him to get out of this mess when I deserve to be in it. That's what we're like. But we're like that because we don't understand the heart of God. We don't understand grace. We, we, we don't understand that very simple message. And Satan's doing everything in his power to try to complicate it. 
And the truth of the matter is, when we make a huge mess, that's what our fathers are for. God paid an enormous price to open up that door, to remove it, to become the door for you so that you could go right in. And that's grace. And so maturing in Christ, let me tell you what it is. As you grow in the Lord, that doesn't mean you're any better than anyone else. But it, what it does mean is that you're understanding more and more who God is, what the cross means, and that the throne of grace, it's as simple and easy as just walking in without knocking. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for that, Lord. That, Lord Jesus, you removed the door. You are the door. We thank you that there's a one-way road to the throne of grace, and there's not one roadblock there. Father, help us by your grace to understand that to remember that, particularly when we're in that dark hour, that dark night, where we feel just so alone, so incapable, so unworthy, such a mess. Lord, we want to grow in grace, as your word says. We want to be strong in grace, as your word says. Lord, we want your grace to to move us on into that place of service that you have for us where we're serving you, we're loving the people of God, we're loving the people who hate God, and we're just uh, walking in grace, Lord. Forgive us for so many times rejecting that, Lord. Forgive us for hiding from you. For, forgive us, Lord, uh, for... just in our own mind, allowing the clutter to take up residence and, and keep us from coming into you, Lord. I pray for anyone in this room who's just created a big, ugly mess for themselves, that they would understand grace, that they would just do business with you this morning. Lord, uh, and, 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 and Lord, we also just pray for anyone in this room who has never come to Jesus has never believed in what he's done for their life. I pray for anyone in this room that is just trying to work out their own salvation, trying to do the best that they can, they can trying to follow some religion, some set of rules to find you, Lord, or someone who's just uh, been so far from you by the way they've lived their life that, Lord, that they would know that just as the people of Corinth, you love them, you have, uh, uh, you have opened up a way for them you have paid the price and you did it because you love them, Father. I just pray that they would understand that this morning. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Please rise. We're going to close with a song. Galatians chapter 